Anyway, it's really good to be back. Um, I've been ill for a bit at the beginning of the year. Um, and so um, it's been really good to get stuck into the Bible and to enjoy preparing this talk. And actually, one of the most encouraging things about preparing it has been realizing that God understands bad starts. Um, I had this great uh, talk really prepared for the beginning of the year and I had to scrap that one. So, um, in fact, if you read the Bible, a lot of the stories and certainly the big story of the Bible is about how things start okay and then they go quite badly wrong. Um, but the great thing is that the star of all of those stories is a God who doesn't give up on us. And he accepts us totally as we are and is committed to making us into who he wants us to be. So um, I'm going to carry on a little bit from um, what Steve talked about last week. So he spoke about uh, the question, does God have a plan for our lives? And how this idea in scripture has many aspects to it. For example, the fact um, that the passage in Jeremiah that's often quoted is talking to a plural you, the people of Israel. And the context of the promise is that it's addressing a people who are captured in Babylon, in exile from the land where they normally lived. So they're displaced people. Following God's plan for our lives does not necessarily put us in a place where everything is just so. For example, looking at the Apostle Paul's life shows us that even when the most amazing servant of God, whilst fulfilling God's plan for their life, went through all kinds of trials and tribulations. It's not just the case that if we tick all the right boxes, that is, we do all the right things and believe all the right things, that our lives are going to be easy. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us that there is a battle going on in this world that we live. Um, and we don't have any choice, actually, but to get involved. We literally have an enemy who's out to get us and who wants, to, wants us to fail and is doing everything that they can to stop us. In Ephesians 6.12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there you go. It's not just a matter of doing the right thing, because most of the problems in the world are trying to sort out what's gone wrong. And also, we are a degree... We are, to a degree, a product of our genetics and our environment and, of course, our personal choices as well. We can't fight this battle on our own. God wants us to know that part of his plan for us is to help us to overcome the difficulties and problems that we face. However, there is an incredible power that works negatively in our lives individually and collectively, when we allow things that God has given us as gifts to become more important to us than God himself. So with that in mind, we're going to think about three things today. We're going to think about money, sex, and power. And they're all important because used wrongly, they can do terrible harm. But when they're lived within the boundaries that God's made for them, they bring great blessing. 
First thing, we're going to watch a video of um, the idea of exile in the Bible. And um, hopefully this will link with those things that we're going to be looking at. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being, but in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a God. Ah, they won't go that far. Right, this is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it non-violently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So they're still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime, but then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall and Israel did get to go back home, but now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile waiting for their true home to come to them. And they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. 
Now, some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Or does it? In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. You don't have to remember all of that. <laughs> Let's think about how this metaphorical Babylon, this dark power that is in this present world, not just in its structures that aren't Christian, but also within the human heart, how does this work for us today? And to do that, we're going to revisit those verses in Jeremiah that Steve referred to last week that they mentioned in the video. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The mission of God... The Missio Deo has always been to have people represent him as stewards, kings of creation who display his glory and his goodness by living life in the way that he intended, loving God and loving one another. Where does money, sex and power come into this? Well, it's in the subtext. Build houses and settle down. That's actually assuming that you have some money to do so. And if you haven't, it assumes that you have the ability to, le- to earn money so that you can build a house and settle down. I was walking past the prayer wall, which is just behind this wall here, a, a couple of weeks ago. And there were some children who'd written down some prayers on the wall. There was one little boy who was giggling and he'd written out the prayer, please make my family rich. 
Well, he was being a bit cheeky, but the funny thing is that I can't get this prayer out of my mind and that family because I know that God wants to answer that prayer and I know that God wants them to be rich enough to buy a house and settle down in this country. Because it all depends what we need, doesn't it? Of course God wants to meet all of our needs, but equally there are some of us who don't need that so much and some for whom it's become a bit of an obsession where they can never get enough. So it doesn't mean that we can't have successful jobs because God very often calls people into certain positions like Daniel in that video where they can have power and influence and then the challenge is to know Jesus as your Lord and not to allow greed to be your master. Let's look at the next phrase in the Jeremiah passage. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. The Bible is very current, isn't it? There's some of you who are very good at this and um, you have allotments and all kinds of things and grow vegetables and if we listen to the current scientific wisdom, this is a really good idea. The whole idea of what we eat and how we look after the land, how we care about the welfare of the animals that we eat, are all crucial to how this world is going to survive. We can't just allow our undisciplined desires for sugar or crisps or alcohol or ale, <laughs> or whatever else that is bad for us to determine the way that we use our money and energy and time. We must build ourselves and our children up with good, healthy, fresh food. Next one, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Here we have the context for sex. It's within the context of faithful, long-term covenantal commitment. Yes, it's about having children. It's about having a relationship together within the hustle and bustle of life and with shared responsibilities. And it doesn't mean that you have to have children if you're married because some people can't and some people choose not to because they choose for their life together to take on a different meaning or to enhance the community in a different way than having children. Our society today is very different than the society that Moses' law spoke into. The Ten Commandments, which are like the headlines of the law, are incredibly valid for us today, though. Um, if you think about the commandment, do not commit adultery, it's actually the most important and straightforward sexual ethic to apply to any community. And Jesus expanded this by saying that this included looking twice or entertaining the possibility of adultery in your mind. And then the other commandment that's very relevant to our sexual ethics is the one about not coveting your neighbor's possessions because that included their wife. So here we've got an example of doing some um, biblical interpretation in our heads. If you are a woman, <coughs> this verse or this law is not speaking to you because that law was actually written for men. In fact, the Ten Commandments were written to men. And the men were responsible for making sure that their households were aware of them and, that everyone in, and also everyone in their household uh, was their possession. So the women, the children, and the slaves were all their property. But because I'm a woman who knows how much Jesus valued women 
and he completely inverted the current understandings of how they should be treated. And also because the New Testament says that in Christ there is no longer Jew nor Greek or male or female or slave or free, I know that I can read this commandment, or all of the commandments actually, as applying to me as a woman as well. And I assume that God doesn't want me to covet my neighbor's property either. (laughs) Um, However, certain laws within the Old Testament that go expand further and give more detail are sometimes not enough for our communities today and we need to take further wisdom from other um, knowledge and information as well. For example, um, I don't think that the ethic is strong enough to protect women and make them safe. There is a law that says a man who rapes a woman is told that he must marry her and there's no choice for her and no acknowledgement of what this violation has done for her. Clearly today that is not something that we would apply. It doesn't mean that the Bible is irrelevant, but it means that the Bible at that time was dealing with issues in a culture which isn't ours. Also, the Bible doesn't say much about protecting children within a community. And if we're running any kind of organisation nowadays, it's very important that we have a very strong safeguarding policy. And we get outside help from from an agency that we buy into as a church who helps us with this. And we have a very strong team in Ruth Ayres, Trevor Williams, Liz Machel and Amelia Godden. And so... With all of this wisdom, this is a faithful use of the Bible and it's not um, going against what the Bible is saying in any way. Talking of sexuality, many people live celibate lives, not just because they've chosen to, but because that's how life has turned out for them. And we need to honour and respect the challenges that each of us have, even when things Um, like this are not talked about very much. It's important that as a community we're able to communicate clearly um, and that there are no 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 no-go areas that that we can't talk about. We might want to do this through our connect groups or prayer triplets. um, And also there's the opportunity for making appointments for prayer and also for making pastoral appointments and You can find the details of that in the Vineyard Life magazine. So we want to be a community where we communicate and where we can be clear that we're being accountable and getting support from each other. Going back to the law in the Bible and how it actually worked out for the people of Israel, the Ten Commandments that were given at Mount Sinai were the kind of headlines of God's heart and the headlines of what God wanted people to imprint on their hearts. But as well as that, there were 600 or so other laws that expanded upon these. Um, And as well as that, there were people to help with individual cases. And there were the Levites, who were the priests, who helped to enforce the law and helped to work it out with people And had provision within the law as well for forgiveness and becoming right with God and mistakes. 
So the Torah, which are the books in the Bible which contain the law, are also full of stories to help us understand how the law worked as well. So it's quite a complex thing. The law is quite a complex thing. I had a parking ticket just before Christmas, which I had a letter about, and it was for £50, and they said that I hadn't paid for a ticket to a car park. I thought, oh, I'm going to win this appeal because I had evidence that I, I had paid this ticket and I even found the receipt in my handbag, which is a miracle. So I appealed um, the ticket and I got a letter back saying that I was still liable for the fine because um, I hadn't put in my full registration number into the machine. So I was pretty gutted, and I was ill, so it was kind of like way out of proportion in my head, and I was so upset about it that I just couldn't even go near it, put it aside. Of course, when I came back to it, the, the fine had gone up to £100. And um, just because I needed to put it behind me and not worry about it, I paid the £100, um, but it actually made me realise how complicated how frustrating the law can be when there's not a person there to talk about it. And sometimes we can be in the right about something or we can have uh, mitigating circumstances or, or whatever. But um, God in the Bible, there's a lovely bit in Isaiah where God says, come, let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And if God can talk like that to people when he's telling them off. I believe that God is a God who doesn't want to catch us out, but he wants to catch us in. And he wants us to win. He wants us to be able to do the things that he's asking of us. So, going back then to the people of God, the reason that God needed a people and that he chose Israel in the midst of other people is because he always wanted to show his glory, and his glory is about his character and his nature. And his character and nature become apparent when people treat each other well and treat each other right. There's always been provision for mistakes and always the possibility of talking together within the community. So from those um, verses in Jeremiah about the people in exile, we can learn that living in a community the way that we want to glorify God is okay to be about growing in number and influence. It's about bringing up your children. It's about having children, bringing them up to love and serve God and to love and serve his people. And it's about not worshipping idols, the idols around, not bowing down to the kings and emperors at that time. For us, it would be about maybe politics and um, ideologies. Don't identify with any practices around the worship of those idols. For example, sorcery, prostitution, pederasty, child sacrifice. Some things are just wrong. And as such, we should not only not participate in those things, but we should also speak against them and actively work towards ensuring that those who are the oppressors in these situations are being caught. The practice of human trafficking in our day is becoming more and more successful, and profit from it is predicted to overtake drug traf 
drug trafficking within a few years. There's always going to be vulnerable human beings and there's always going to be powerful, evil people who are looking to use them. Linked with that, please let there be no misunderstanding about the destructive harm of pornography. It buys into an industry which profits from the degradation and violation of people who have no choice or who've lost all sense of worth. If anyone finds themselves drawn to this in any way, please get help. We want to be a community that helps one another to live in the way that we should, to be honest about where we are at and open to how God wants us to be going forwards. So the next part of our passage in Jeremiah is actually an example of how power can be used in a good way. How a minority group within a society can become a blessing because of the positive way in which they live. And as we saw on the video, that in fact was what Jesus did. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is exciting. This is subversive activism. And it's an activism that's based on reality and love, not on hatred and destructive narratives. It's love in action, which is actually what politics fails to deliver. And it's also prayer in action, all the things that we love to do. Many churches, including our own, who practice compassion ministries and do it well, testify that the cities or towns where they're working usually end up being blessed and also approving the values that are being carried out through the work. So, for example, the offer of prayer and the acknowledgement that um, the core beliefs that are the impetus uh, for what we do people are quite happy with those when they see the good work that's being done. So, we can be subversive, and the way that we understand power in the church is to look to Jesus and how he showed us what power is like. Because the image of God has never just been seen in powerful people. It's seen in the servants, it's seen in the people serving. All of us within the body of Christ have the ability to hear God and to minister to people in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's together that we are the image of God and he wants us to represent him to a hurting world. So these three things, money, sex and power, can be enjoyed positively and radically with Jesus as our Lord in the context of a world that doesn't hold the same values. And we can overcome the dangers that are around those subjects. As we respond to God and continue um, into ministry time, I want us just to consider this verse from Colossians. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died 
and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Uh, Maybe, Dan, if you wouldn't mind just leading us for the last time. (laughs) That'd be wonderful. And as Dan comes up, I'm just going to pray three things related to the three things we've been looking at this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless us with money that enables us to live securely and to further your kingdom and not to be ruled by a love for this money that turns to greed or makes us use it destructively by gambling or wasting it on things that are harmful. And Lord, uh, we pray that you'd help us enjoy safe and healthy sexual boundaries and that you'd allow us the grace and dignity of honoring you and each other with our hearts and bodies. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be followers of Jesus and his example, who gave up his right to power and became a servant so that we could know him forever. That we could have relationships where we honor each other and do not abuse power over each other in any way. And Lord, we pray for honesty and truthfulness and courage to get help if we need it. Amen.